here we are for another refreshing episode of Below Average Gaming. I'm here with likes to ship his water next to the mic, Michael. And I'm, wow, he's having a beer again, Josh. How's it going, brother? I'm doing pretty well this morning. I'm like, kind of tired because I woke up way too early and wound up watching way too much Worlds this morning, but that's fine. You know, at least we got nice League of Legends Worlds to watch. Other people with their short football seasons and all that other stuff. Nah, man. Full on league. Let's go. It's been good. Yeah, we get to see the North American second seed somehow win a game against the tournament favorites. And we get to watch the Toxic Dumpster Fire NA team get 06'd. (laughs) And that's made me happy deep down inside. Where I'm just like, man, the world's so bleak sometimes, but at least TSM went 06. That's all that really matters at the end of the day. Did you see that double lift? memed on twitter afterwards no i didn't see this afterwards he 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 tweeted out well i broke the three three curse just in the wrong direction (laughs) you let down a whole country and you meme about it what a god I just, I can't put in words how much I dislike him as a player. It's awful. Yeah, it's not great. (laughs) But anyway. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about this week. That'll be coming up soon enough, though. This week, we want to go over some board games. Change it up a little bit. Some board games we like, some, some we don't, some we can recommend, especially if you're starting to get into the hobby. We're not talking about 12 hour marathon games, necessarily. But you know, the good ones, you know, as I continue to drop things on my floor. So, Michael, how do you feel, first off, let's get this out of the way, how do you feel about some of the classic board games like Monopoly, or Life, or Candyland? Um, most mainstream board games are just, like, really bad. I I don't understand the purpose of a board game when it's just, like, a spectator sport. Like, life. Life is probably the worst example of this, of the game is literally just random chance, and you existing doesn't change anything. Except you can make, like, a couple decisions that are just aggressively incorrect, but, you know. I have a uh, cool version of life. I have to call the the, the grown-up life, which is Funny Friends, where you kind of, like, make decisions as you grow up in that game, except it's, like, an adult game. So there's a bunch of ones, like, you can join, like, the nunnery and be celibate. But, like, in order to, like, do other things, you have to have done the thing previous to it. So you have to have, like, been celibate in order to be a nun. The game, the game's, the game's classic. <laughs> so. Actually, th- like, see, that sounds kind of cool. It's like, life has a cool concept, and then just decides that everything is going to be about the concept and not about the gameplay. Yeah, how well can you spin the wheel and did you pull the doctor card? That's, that's all that matters. Hey, sometimes you pull that doctor card real good. And sometimes you need two cars for your children and you're flat broke. I mean, yeah. It's like real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, I, I don't know, just board games are really hard. Because I, my family kind of liked playing board games when I was a kid, but they always wanted to play like these kind of spectator sport board games, board games that are just like usually entirely decided by like spinning a wheel or like dice roll. And I don't really like them just because if I'm going to play a game, why would I play something that I literally don't have any impact in? Yeah. Like the lowest impact game I usually like playing when it comes to board games now is like rummy. I still really like playing rummy. And, but that's like a really basic game, but it doesn't feel as on rails as something like Life does. Well, I'm, I'm blanking on... Rummy's a card game, isn't it? Yeah. It's where you have to make runs or pairs and... There's a couple card games that are fine. Like, I'm a really big fan of, like, Hearts. Or, like, even, like, something like Crazy Eights, even though those are, in a lot of cases, not super... Like, mainly decided by what cards you draw. Yeah. But... As far as, like, kind of the mainstream board games of, like, Monopoly, Life, um, Candyland, even so, like, obviously it's more, like, kiddish, but, like, something like Snakes and Ladders, uh, Sorry, Trouble, like, a lot of these are just, like, totally luck-based games that I, I just, 
Why would I sit down and spend a couple hours playing a board game that I have no agency in? And we all know, though, too, that, like, when it comes to the side of luck, I have learned through our friendship that luck is literally never on your side. <clears throat> no. No. I, no. No? No? No. <laughs> so something I think that's a good stepping stone, and so I think we're going to kind of do this in a way that we kind of progress slowly into things that are more complicated. So... Like, I know, like, a th- one of the big intro games for me to get more into better board games, more interesting board games, was just, like, Risk 2210, I think was probably one of the first ones, where it kind of takes Risk, which is, like, a very dice rolly game, to where you can position properly, quotes, in Risk, and still get screwed over, because you just, like, keep rolling one, so you're dead. Yeah, Risk is a game that's, <clears throat> like, 60% skill. And then has this aspect of being decided by dice rolls, and occasionally you just die. Yeah, and I like the Risk 2210, adding cards in, adding water and moon bases into the game, kind of like, gives you a little bit more decision making, so I think it's like a good first step if you're trying to get past, you know, things even as basic as regular Risk. It also takes less time, because there's a lot more mechanics to just like, push an advantage, which is nice. Um, I know Carcassonne, it's another big one. I still love that game. There was like 600 expansions for it too. So that's a really good... they're all great. Well, yeah, they're all great. The only one I don't like is... There's one that has like physical dexterity in it where you like to launch a little catapult. That, that one, like... I don't care about the little catapult at all. The dragon's sweet though. I like being able to eat people's stuff. And the towers where you get to like take people's pieces off the board. I don't know. There's something really fun about that game where it's really basic to when you get the base set. You basically just... You're, you pull tiles out of a box... And you build roads or cities. And you just gain points for completing them. And I don't know. There's something really fun about that game. The fact that you can try to sneak in and make people share their points. is really fun. And eventually the game gets so complicated. And you know, it ends up being like 600 pieces on a table. And can be like quite the marathon. But it's nice that you can kind of pull pieces in and out. And kind of adjust it on who you're playing with. That's a big recommend for me. Yeah. And, like, probably the first, like, complicated board game I played, like, it was probably, like, when I was a young teenager or whatever, was I had convinced my family to get into Catan. And we bought, like, Catan plus two expansions plus then the, like, five to six player expansions because we were playing with five people at the time. And Catan feels to me like it's so close to being great. Like, there's so many things I love about Catan. Like, I actually, I really enjoy the concept of Catan. And in abstract, I'm really into that game. And I don't really like playing it. Because the game is, like, takes a couple steps towards being, like, a proper good strategy game. And then decides to put this massive luck chunk into it. Where there's a proper way to play the game. And then you just hit a point where you can play the game properly and still just lose. Which is really weird for me. I don't, I'm not against luck in games, in like board games, but that game feels like it's trying to be something not luck based and then puts this massive luck thing with just like dice rolling for what resources you find. And there's no way to fix that system with Catan. Like there's no way to like make that system work better. Just because of the nature of the game. But it just leads it to where I love the game in concept and don't ever want to play it. <laughs> yeah. I usually try to avoid dice rolling in a lot of games I like playing. Like, visible variance in a game like dice rolling often feels different to me than, like, um, invisible variance where you're just, like, drawing off your deck. Or if there's a pool of, like, cards to pick from. There is variance in that, but it doesn't feel as bad as literally rolling a die and hitting a one. And it feels bad. That's why I kind of well, yeah, like, um, I like role-playing games a little bit. Like like Dungeons and Dragons or another one I'm going to get to later. To where, like, there's variance in it with dice rolling, but there's ways to fix your variance. I mean, as someone who used to DM a fair amount for D&D, I, like, basically ignored dice rolls in that game. Mm-hmm. And if you did something like you obviously you have to acknowledge ones and twenties, but everything in between, if you did something stupid, it was probably failing. And if you did something smart, it was probably working just because I enjoyed the storytelling aspect of it more. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think there's a lot of room for a lot of great games out there. That's why we're always about playing things that are fun and things that are good and not playing games, whether it be board games or video games, that there's just better versions of that kind of game out there. Uh, A big one for me is Dominion is a really popular deck building game where you get a pick from a pool of cards, often known as like drafting in games, and pick, you know, what you want to add to your deck and then... It gets put into your discard pile, you shuffle together, and you keep going and keep buying stuff, and you try to get points. Dominion does something that I really don't like in games, and it kind of gives you, like, a boring presentation. Where I like flavor in my games. I like there being, like, a really distinct style to a game, and very flavorful games. So that's why I picked up Ascension over Dominion, because it's a similar idea drafting for a card pool. I just like the idea of, like... My game having a world in it, not just be like, this is a wall, this is a barn. And even too with Carcassonne, it having a distinct city that it was based off of and like the art style is interesting, despite not necessarily being very intense in like lore or anything like that, it still adds a little bit to me. Yeah, and I think a lot of people look at card games and think about the variance in them. Just because we're simultaneously saying we don't like dice rolling, but then that we like card games, which are, in a way, 100% variance, because it's all about what cards you draw. But a lot of these really good board game card games, so not like collectible card games, but things where you're building a deck on the fly, or where the deck is set and it doesn't change for each player, there are usually ways to influence that. Because either you're given more decisions, so you can make different decisions to better it, or in like the case of a deck builder, you can build your deck in a way to minimize the effects of this, of the difference, of the variance there. Whereas with dice rolling, in a game like Monopoly, for example, that's literally the only variable in that game. There's nothing you can do to change it. There's no like effects you can get. Even something like we played Mario Party 9. And it's like, it's a video game board game. But in that game each character has like an alternate dice mode, which makes the RNG feel worse because you actually have an option and there's some form of decision-making to be made. Hmm. I do think the the dice rolling in Mario Party, if you put that into a board game where you got options, would be kind of cool. Oh, yeah. And that's what the same thing too, that like that's just like it's variance, but it's variance that you have some control over in a way. And that's the same thing with deck building games like Legendary, Aeon's End, Ascension, Dominion. The one big mechanic I really like from those games, which I always, always buy, is remove cards from your deck and draw a card. Because often in these games, you get cards at the base of the game that are the strictly worst versions of every other card in the game, but they're your starting deck. I am a huge component of making sure all those cards get out of my deck as fast as possible. So you just increase the value of your average draw. And uh, Amy, my uh, significant other there, will always make fun of me. Because she's like, you just like drawing cards, I feel like. I feel like all you like doing is drawing cards. I'm like, well, if it says draw a card and has literally anything else typed on the card, it's free. Because this game doesn't have a resource. So if I can draw my entire deck every turn, guess who's winning? So, yeah, I, I think that for a lot of people, when they make the move to more like competitive games, because a lot of times when you want to take the next step into board games, you'll go to something like Catan um, or you'll go to like, there's a lot of games like that, but then a lot of them wind up being deck builders. A lot of the really popular board games, really like high rated, high acclaimed board games wind up being deck building games. And one of the things that I think people don't realize fast enough, and this is from trying to introduce people to stuff like that, is how good card drawing is. Just, like, put it in your deck. It's great. Drawing cards is... It's it's incredible. Yeah, and if you need any further proof, every major card game that's a collectible game that's ever come out has banned the best card draw out of the game. Every single one has banned it. Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon... Magic the Gathering, some of the most banned cards are things that let you draw cards. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, they're nuts. And it's kind of cool because it does introduce people to a wider array of strategy really well. Well, it's even, even if you go as far as something like uh, Four Souls, Binding of Isaac. Oh, yes. Four Souls. That game 
I find when I'm playing with people who have a lot of experience with magic or a lot of experience with board games, the game becomes about something different than when you're playing with people who are new to it. Because I find that people who are new to it really underestimate cards like D20 or cards that like let you look at the top of the loot deck or the top of the monster deck or the top of the treasure deck. Anything that gains you information or gives you choice. Like, I think the best card in that game is the D20, which is tap, destroy a card, put the top card of the treasure deck into play. Like, destroy an item, put the top card of the treasure deck into play. And you, oh, yes. And I think that's just the strongest card in the game. And I don't think it's actually particularly close. Because that choice is just so powerful. Yeah. And having options like that and having things that you can do, even while a game is luck-based, helps remove the feel-bad of variance. Yeah. I think Binding of Isaac might be one of the best games if you want to take a step past the uh, the first tier past things like, like life, risk, and all that junk, right? If you want to go a little bit further past that next tier afterwards, which is like Carcassonne, or like legendary, and you really want to get into something that has a priority system where you can act on someone else's turn. I think Binding of Isaac is a great game for that, especially if you like Magic, The Gathering, or Yu-Gi-Oh! or any of the collectible games, and you want to have a board game to play with your friends that do not also play those games. Binding of Isaac is perfect, especially because the priority system in Binding of Isaac is the exact same thing as Magic the Gathering, but you just have a limited amount of times you can respond based on what you have in play or in your hand. And it's yeah. great. And the, the other thing about like Binding of Isaac and the reason I think it is a really good like stepping stone if you do want to get into like the the more complicated stuff. Stuff like Ascension and all those different like the really complicated deck builders that you get. Is it also introduces you to a lot of these concepts without having to get you ta to tackle the deck building portion. Because mm -hmm. deck building is actually something really hard to learn how to do whether and like obviously different games have a harder time deck building but like deck building and magic is really difficult so getting someone into like a cube which is something i like to really do is really hard but with isaac you can kind of introduce someone to the base concepts of those kind of games without actually having the requirement to know how to deck build so it's a little bit less daunting for people to tackle as like a first try yeah especially in binding of isaac lazarus who like gives you a benefit for dying really teaches you very well about synergy if you're not used to it because it literally changes the way the game's being played because you're trying to get yourself killed the entire game and it is good for you to do so i mean he's also probably like the strongest character in that game yeah by a fairly wide margin my favorite way to play is that is lazarus he's he's amazing especially too if you have any uh inclination to play something that has a very interesting theme to it Binding of Isaac is really cool for that too and if you end up liking the theme of course Binding of Isaac is also a PC game so if you kind of like the theme and how eerie and weird that game is the PC game is also another really cool way to go yeah I played a ton of the PC game and I don't think it's aged very well but that's probably also an unpopular opinion. So You've also probably played that game for over 100 hours. I'm looking at you. I'm, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm just over 200, actually. Yeah, exactly. It didn't age very well, maybe, because you played it for 200 hours. And you also are into that kind of game a lot. The, the other thing for me is just, I am into roguelikes. Mm -hmm. And if I was looking at roguelikes now, I wouldn't choose Isaac. Yeah. So, but that's where, like, the not aging very well came from. Another big thing, and this is going to be a Josh's opinion thing here. You should never play Arkham Horror like the board game, and you should go buy Aeon's End instead. And I know, if anyone's actually into board gaming here, it's probably going to be like, let's go gang up on this guy. But hear me out. So Aeon's End has a very similar mechanic to Arkham Horror, which is a very overwhelming threat coming at you. So in Arkham Horror, you pick what boss you're going to fight at the beginning, or you do it randomly, and they're kind of like this looming threat as you play through the game. The whole problem with Arkham Horror is it takes about 30 minutes to 40 minutes to set up the game, even if you've played it a bunch. Learning it probably takes two hours, especially if you're playing with people who haven't played a lot of games. Aeon's End has the same thing where it has a big looming threat that is the boss monster, but is also a really simple deck building mechanic with it and you kind of like level up as you play it your first game will take less time than it is to learn arkham horror 
and still has the same kind of overwhelming threat where like the game's trying to beat you and it's gonna win sometimes which i really like i hate when like you play a co-op game say like something like legendary and legendary is a joke to win every single time the theming of the game is really cool if you really like marvel and if you really want a basic game to play legendary is perfect but if you want to actually be able to lose at your game at some point aeon's end i think is just strictly better than arkham horror it's cheaper the theme is still great, and it doesn't take 600 years to, like, load it up. Yeah, I, I haven't played either of them, so I don't really know. I know I, I have a friend who's played a lot of Arkham Horror and really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said, I haven't played it. And, like, the time to set up thing is actually a big deal. And that's one of the things where I, I said, like, Catan. Catan takes way too long to set up for what the game is. I didn't know that it had a large setup time to it. I've avoided well, Catan because it doesn't... Because it's not a huge setup time, but it can take like up to like 20 minutes, half an hour to set up the game. Just because the board... You can either choose one of the set boards or you can randomize it, but the board is made up of a ton of little individual pieces. Oh, those So things... you have to piece all the pieces together. Yikes. All your hexes are like individual pieces. And my really hard thing with Catan is once I got a little bit more into board games, I do not see a reason to play Catan over Terra Mystica. Just because I think Terra Mystica has fixed every issue with Catan and made the game better. See, I, I'm unfamiliar with Terra Mystica. So, like, what is Terra Mystica all about? So, Terra Mystica is, like, pretty similar to Catan, where you're, like, running a, um, like, a civilization... And your goal is to have the most victory points at the end of the game. The couple big differences are uh, Catan runs until someone hits a number of victory points. Uh, Terra Mystica runs for a number of turns. So Terra Mystica has a set end time and then changes uh, how many points you'll get. Because you can get more points. So when you're... Usually, when I've played with people, kind of like people's, like, first try of the game, you end the game with, like, 50 to 60-ish victory points. But once you've got it down, it's not uncommon to have lobbies where, like, you're ending the game at, like, 120 to, like, 140. That's cool. There's a lot of room to grow and get better at that game, then. Yeah. And the so, the main mechanic of the game is, in order to settle on a location, it has to be your type of land. Oh, okay. And so you terraform things. So each... There's basically a circle. So each each type of land can go one of two ways. And then you have to terraform it to the type of land that you can settle on. And then settle on it. And each... So there's six colors. I think it's six colors. And each of these colors has two races associated with it. And each of these races actually has a different skill, different starting resources, and plays the game differently. So you actually have to actively change how you play the game from game from game to game if you're changing what race you're playing, because they all actually prioritize different things. I'm going to have to play this game. This sounds awesome. Um, also, if you are playing, leave the, black leave the blackboard out of it to start. It's, um... Not really balanced. It's not really worth playing with. It just... It doesn't seem broken until you realize that every time it terraforms something, it gets a free victory point. And then you realize that you're like 60 points behind and the game's over. Oh. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. <laughs> there, there's a uh, there's another game I'll have to uh, convince you to play called Global Mogul. It is a dry Euro game... About making the best corporation you possibly can and getting the most resources you possibly can in a set number of turns. It is it is hard to get points because you only have so much time to complete contracts for like other companies in other countries. So if you want to be good at the game, you have to be very efficient at what you're doing. Otherwise, your contract will run out and you won't get anything. The game, that sounds amazing. The game's incredible. That actually sounds like so much fun. Oh, yeah. Pause for one second. Yeah, and there's a bunch of good games like that where Terra Mystica sounds like a lot of games that I've tried to play that I don't think were, like, made as well. So I'm really looking forward to, you know, hitting that up with you. Uh, yeah, Terra Mystica is a lot of fun. And 
again, like, Catan feels like it occupies this weird middle ground where it's trying to be a competitive strategy game and a casual game, and I just don't think it, like, I don't like it. I, I, there are casual games which I enjoy, and there are strategy games that I enjoy, but when you put yourself in this middle ground, I just don't enjoy playing it because you're building, you're making a strategy game where I can just lose after making all the right decisions. Yeah, and that never feels good, especially when you know that you've made the right decisions, and it's just like, oh, oops, you hit some variants, sorry. Yeah. And like, admittedly, for different playgroups, that's a good thing. Yeah. Like Terra Mystica, playing with my family, I haven't lost the game. That's different when I play with my group of friends. Ah. Sorry. <laughs> that's different when I play with my group of friends, but with my family who aren't as competitive like board games and aren't like as a like aren't used to all the concepts that go into playing a board game to like a high level and all that stuff. I wind up winning a lot of the time. So I get the issue with that. And that's where the casual board games can come in. But I don't like the middle ground. I don't like of trying to be casual and competitive at the same time. It just leads to me not liking it. Yeah. Which there are some good casual games out there. There's a few that I have for the sole purpose of not playing with people who want a really deep game, but a really good game that I still really enjoy. Like Machi Koro. It's a great game where you basically, you have buildings in a big giant draft pool. So I think it's, it's two rows of five or something like that. And you can buy buildings that have a number on them. The number is when you roll a die with that number. So it's like if you buy uh, like a farm. And so whenever you roll a one, you get a coin. And then you can buy like a vineyard or anything else that all have different numbers on it. So you can actually decrease the variance by buying one through six early so each die roll actually matters but the game actually goes pretty far because you actually go up to 12 and you have to buy the ability to roll two dice and that's a really good really good little game it doesn't take very long the setup is really easy because like everyone has their starting buildings that you're trying to build throughout the game and then just the deck you shuffle the deck you put the draft pool out and you just start playing so if you want, if you like the kind of idea of like playing a drafting game or something where you're like, you know, accumulating points or trying to build up a system, that's a really good intro to that genre. And of course, I wanted to I wanted to put a special spot in here for us. I want to put meme games, games that are just really ridiculous and they really know. And I know there's one that. You wanted to talk about Exploding Kittens. Yeah, Exploding Kittens, I I don't know who came up with this game. But the premise of the game is there's a communal deck and you ha- there, there's exploding kittens in the deck. And if you draw an exploding kitten, you either have a diffuse card or you lose. And I love the game. Game is a ton of fun. The game also has a ton of strategy to it. And you can, like, apply a lot of strategy from actual card games to it. And also just has RNG elements. So it's not like you can win 100% of the time. Yeah. It's just games, games, games a hoot. Games a ton of fun. It's a super fun casual game. It's not too long. Like, it's not long at all. And just winds up being a blast. And the box meows at you, too, which makes me happy. <laughs> the box does meow at you. Yeah. That is, that is a feature. And, and beware... If you are playing this with with anybody younger, there are two versions of the game. There's regular Exploding Kittens, which is like a, a brownish red box. And then there's Not Safe for Work Exploding Kittens, which is a black box. So if you're playing with anyone younger, make sure you don't buy the black box. <laughs> it's a little messed up. But, you know, Exploding Kittens is great. That's a really fun game, especially if you play Heads Up. And you're both very good at games. Exploding Kittens. I've never played Heads Up. Okay, we're going to have to play Heads oh, Up. Oh, no, 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 sorry. I'm thinking wrong. Yeah, I have yeah. one-on-one where you're both good at it is incredible. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of mind games that go in. When you put the bomb down a certain number of cards and you, like, make sure you do it behind your back so they can't see. The game's great. There's a, there's a couple of... Or uh, the other one is where you know you're ahead, so you just, like... With, like, determination, put it back on top and just pass. Yeah, and be like, I know I'm winning, go. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
there's um there's two particular games here which are both made from a board game maker in Washington State, which I find really cool. And one second here, I'm actually going to make sure I know what the name is. Yes, it is Gut Bustin' Games. So these are two, quote unquote, this person is from the redneck part of Washington and literally calls one of their games Redneck Life. So it's life, very similar to the actual board game, except, you know, a little bit more fun with it. So victory points in Redneck Life are how many teeth you have left over at the end of the game. And how little alimony you have to pay. <laughs> and the whole game is basically your whole life going down the dumpster. And like your your wife taking your stuff, you actually shooting off a toe with a shotgun. You know, it's just a very fun, really random game. And I really appreciate it because I have a very large portion of my family. Very rural Eastern Washington. And they also love the game because we know where we came from. And then another great one is uh, by the same board game maker is Trailer Park Wars. To where basically you could play as a trailer park manager. And you have a bunch of little trailers in a circle that are your trailer park. All the trailers in the game are actual pictures of real trailers from Washington State. And some of them, like one of them like, looks like a cow. Does somebody literally make their trailer look like a giant cow? And the whole point of the game is you want to get as many residents as you can to come into your trailer park. And certain ones will leave other trailer parks to come to yours. Like the uh, the uh, stripper patron from the trailer park will move to whoever has the cigarette machine. And if like the old folks are next to the rockers in a trailer park, you'll get minus points because the old people don't want to sit next to the musicians. And you can send crocodiles and alligators to somebody else's park or shoot fireworks at it to try to blow up their trailers. And the victory points are calculated in pink lawn flamingos. So whoever has the most pink flamingos in the game wins. It's really frivolous, but very, very fun. Okay. <laughs> I had to share that one with you. Those games are great. All right. I I don't know what yeah. exactly to say to that one. <laughs> and the great piece of nostalgia to me is that I recognized one of the trailers in the game. I know who owns one of the trailers. <laughs> yeah. That, that's yeah. Awesome. I had to give a shout out to those games because they make me happy. <laughs> I guess the, the last... Uh, Big section of games here I wanted to touch on, which it's, it's really close to me because of having kids, especially one being younger. There are two really big games that I think are great gateway games, even if it's not actually with kids, but like just like teenagers or just want to introduce some stuff to people. One of them is Stuffed Fables. This game is adorable beyond all reason. The whole, the whole game is presented in a storybook. So you actually get a whole entire story in a book that's a choose-your-own-adventure book based on what you do in the game. And there's a wonderful thing they've done with the rules of this game. There are QR codes with video tutorials inside the book. So if you don't understand a section, you QR code scan it with your phone. It pops up a video tutorial explaining that part of the game. So it's super friendly to people, especially if you're trying to like learn... A few games. Welcome back. I'm alive! My internet didn't want me to be here, apparently. <laughs> well, now, now that I'm actually back here, again, on Stuffed Fables, where I was leaving off at, the fact that the game has QR codes in it is great if you're wanting to like learn uh, more of an adventure game. And it's a choose-your-own-adventure book, so you might be able to get some people from different age ranges, especially those who actually played choose-your-own-adventure books when they were younger. It's got the good nostalgia thing to it. The storyline's very approachable, because it's all about, like, a kid who is asleep, and basically the stuffed animals in their room protect them while they're asleep. It has some darker tone to it. 
despite the fact that it's called stuffed fables and like is about stuffed animals, it actually has a bit of a darker tone to it. So it's actually like a good way to get kids more into like a more realistic kind of attitude for a game to where it's not just all fluffy rainbows because life isn't like that a lot of the time. So I kind of really appreciate that fact that the game is not super cute. Um, another big one that I wanted to mention is No Thank You Evil. And this is one I would like to discuss with you a few minutes, Michael. Being someone who has DM'd games, this is the one of the major first times I've done this. Because No Thank You Evil is a very simplified version of Dungeons & Dragons, kind of. And instead of a D20, you use six-sided dice. Which is interesting. So what the game does is it breaks down the typical, you know, strength, wisdom, intelligence, you know, karma, all these different things, all these different skills down to four to simplify the game. Which I really like, too, because, you know, we're playing it right now with our eight-year-old. And definitely, like, understands what the game is about. And it's really cool because the whole concept of the game is that kids go into their closet and when they do that, they kind of go into this like imagination type land where there's, you know, all kinds of fantastical stuff. And the whole realm of the game is that anything is possible there because it's all in their imagination. But it still feels like D&D when we're playing it at a base level. To where a lot of it's a lot of it's about decision making, and a lot of it's about how you approach a situation. Like for example, there was a there was a code based puzzle at the beginning of the game that I edited it from what the manual said because I felt like it would take fifteen minutes to figure out like what the puzzle was. So I like it did a slight change to it, and I really like that about a D and D like game. And I don't know. Like, how do you how do you find yourself guiding people through these kinds of things? Um, I find it, it really depends on the group. Uh, with some groups, you have to hold their hand a little bit. With some groups, you just kind of plop the information in front of them and see where they go with it. But from DMing, my biggest experience is just like, sometimes players just do the stupidest shit. And anyone who's DM'd also probably gets this because you can just have a situation where there's like a blatantly correct answer and they do the opposite. And it's this it's this balance of punishing people for being really stupid and also not turning people off wanting to play the game. Yeah. I a good example I found with that is that Well, let's sort of start this way. Never underestimate who you're playing with with games sometimes. Our eight-year-old, when approaching a bridge that looked rickety, was like, hey, I want to throw something on the bridge first to see if it breaks. Not prompted at all. She figured that out on her own. I'm like, either this kid's got some brains in her, or maybe I did a medium job parenting her at some point, but like actually made the decision to throw something at the bridge and make sure it's okay. Initially, it was a haunch of meat. To which her mom, who was the other party member, said, hey, why don't we go see if there's a rock sitting around instead of throwing <laughs> our food at the bridge to see if it breaks. <laughs> which I thought was funny. Well, yeah, that's the thing of, like, you want your players to come up with solutions for things. But also, if I was playing in a group of, like, my friends, I would not expect anyone to do that. I would 100% expect our group of friends to run headlong onto that bridge and have it collapse underneath them. Yeah. And, like, the scenarios in this game are really good because I feel like they try to make people act. So, I'm a little surprised. The game is literally aged for five and up, by the way. Which is, like, impressive. And the game actually has colored character sheets. The colors coordinate the difficulty level the player wants to be at. Which I think is really cool. You obviously don't need to like color coordinate it. You can just kind of adjust as needed. Because there's still somebody who's like the DM. That's like in charge of the game right? And the game's really cool. Because 
that has a system in place to change the difficulty level per person. So it has level scaling in a board game, which is really cool. And the game comes with three scenarios in the box, and they're each kind of an intro to a different mechanic, so that by the time you're done those three, you can start making up your own story. They have resources online. You can download all the maps from the game online and just print them out if you have a printer, which is really cool. Um, I feel like this system is really smart and might be better than a lot of other games. And it, with D&D, it might just be better, especially for first-timers. Because Well, yeah, and that's something that I think people leave on the back burner of. D&D is overly complicated in ways that don't affect how the game is played. And this is an opinion. You can obviously disagree with me. But as someone who really likes the social and the decision-making and storytelling portion of D&D, I'm someone who has a D&D campaign that is probably about three quarters created that I've put like 70 to 100 hours into making that isn't done because slogging through the little intricacies of all the mechanical details of the of designing the campaign is exhausting to me like figuring out all the different uh, like um character sheets not character sheets but like all the interactions with like the enemies that you're going to come across and all that stuff i just i find it really hard to do and as someone who really likes the storytelling aspect and really enjoys dming as an activity a lot of the times the minutia and like the extraneous little details and the complexity in locations where i don't think it actually benefits the game that much makes it exhausting and like really hard to actually sit down and finish it yeah and like when this game too like instead of having all these different stats all these different sheets the character stats are just tough fast smart and awesome tough obviously makes it obviously makes sense it's like how tough your character's health pool is and how strong their attacks are. Fast is for things like ranged weapons or getting out of the way. Smart is for intelligence stuff. The awesome mechanic, I feel like more people that play D&D need the awesome mechanic in their life. Awesome is when you help people. So there's a stat that helps dictate how well you help people and you can use your awesome skill to give other people advantages. And that's often a thing in D&D that everyone like tries to go their own way a lot of the time and people don't actually help each other. This game actively has a stat that's help people. Which I think is great too because especially if you're playing with you know younger people or people new to this kind of genre, it encourages you to help and be a party. Not be three people wandering off in three different directions when you get into a town and then everyone dies and you're like, what happened? Well, yeah, and that's something that from the D&D perspective, I find that in the pre-built campaigns, so if you're actually running like one of the books, a lot of those campaigns, you can get through them without working together at all. Because they're so one size fits all, that they just have like these blanket issues that don't require like specific solutions or like cooperation between multiple classes because you don't know what you'll have whereas a lot of times in custom campaigns if your dm's actually like designing something and your dm's done it a lot they can actually force you to work together which adds a lot to that game yeah and i feel like it's interesting too because i've already had the point where i've had to push a little bit because being that she's an eight-year-old she gets a little chatty sometimes and goes off on tangents and there was a point where I had to, like, make a character walk out of a room that they didn't know if it was an enemy or not to prompt them. I was like, oh, no, he's coming. He's, like, he's approaching around the door. And they were, like, hiding behind something. It was a little bit of a nudge of, are you going to attack this thing or are you going to let it leave and see what happens? Like, what are you doing? And it was, it's been fun. I think that game is really, really good. Some of the reviews on it, also, I really don't like the way some people approached it. Because they're talking about how it's too easy or it's like, you know, too colorful. It's like it's called No Thank You Evil and it says five and up on the box. Obviously, it's not supposed to be some gritty adventure. But the thing is, you can add, yeah, you can add whatever you want to it, right? Like this year for Halloween, 
we don't really want to go out trick or treating just because like a there's not going to be a lot of people to go see and if they do it's going to be the bowl outside of who knows who's been in said bowl and despite covid like and all that kind of stuff you know my kid's got asthma and she's always had problems getting sick this time of year and she's at home and we have other stuff going on with our in-laws and one of them being extremely sick and going through like chemo and everything that we don't want to you know have her even go get a cold if possible so you can still see your grandparents so like i'm designing a halloween campaign for this where they're going to go trick-or-treating quote-unquote in the game and i'm going to have some kind of like boss enemy that's halloween themed so you can do whatever you want with this kind of thing especially if you're somebody who likes being creative and coming up with new stuff this game is perfect especially if somebody in your you know your group has a big imagination and wants to do their own thing and have a fun family thing you can do or if you just want to like goof around with your friends and just play some kind of like cute board game and just have fun <laughs> yeah and i think i think the one thing that those kind of games like D and this no thank you evil i think is what you called it is they bridge from being a board game to more of what i'd call like a social game and I do have a couple games I actually want to talk about on this front because I think this is, this is for me, this is my most enjoyable type of game to play. And you've seen it like fairly recently with like The Rise of Among Us as far as like content online goes because that's what that game is. That game's very much in this like social deduction, social interaction type of game. And it's been massively popular because of it. And I'm sure a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of people have not played like werewolf or mafia or whatever it was when they were younger like i know i played it on like band trips and shit like that where it's this social deduction game yeah speaking of social deduction and among us briefly you know i was i was cleared right you know what they knew that i was okay why did they shoot me off the ship, man? All right, all right. It's been like a month and a bit, okay? <laughs> that was just so int. It's just like, I don't know, Josh oh, is yeah. sus. Oh, yeah, Josh is clear. Someone dies. It was Josh. Okay, we're voting him off. <laughs> I did my best. <laughs> yeah, but... And uh, Among Us, as I said, like, it's kind of taken off. But um, I used to play a lot of Werewolf. Um, there's actually, like... The concept of werewolf is it's basically mafia, but there's actually like a box set with cards that come in and it gives you a lot of additional characters and like roles that you can play in the game that winds up being a ton of fun. But it's a game that's for like, I don't enjoy werewolf with like under eight people. And that's a hard group size to get together. And when you get under eight people, it just becomes like when you're playing at like five and there's like one werewolf i don't think the game's that much fun but you need to get to kind of like the eight to ten range and like even like if you go a bit bigger like game's probably best with like 14 to 16 people yeah i got lucky that there was a uh youth group i was a part of when i was a kid through like my mid-teenage years that there was like eight to ten of us in a group so we used to play mafia all the time which was really fun, and we did it with like a with like a plain deck of cards. We signed rolls to like the numbers, whatever. That was really fun. I do like these social deduction games quite a bit. I'm not nearly as good at them as you are, though. The way you can piece together things in Among Us blows my mind. Still, we're just like, oh, it's uh, that it's guy. Fine. It's, it's that fine. guy. <laughs> the, the the thing is, is it doesn't matter because occasionally the crew's just like, nah, screw you, you're ejected. Now. The other thing I have to say, though, is stop using me as your alibi, you monster. You know that I trust you, and I shouldn't when we play these games. You're using our friendship to an advantage. You're an asshole. I mean, I mean, to be fair, I was with you the majority of the game, and nothing happened. Sure, you lost sight of me for like 20 seconds, but I showed back up. I never killed you. That's just, that's messed up, man. I'm your accomplice, and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> yeah but so the one one game i do want to touch on in this front if you are looking for this type of game if you're looking for like the more social interaction where how you interact with people is more important secret hitler secret hitler is i believe four to eight players 
And in that range of players, it's better than Mafia or Werewolf. Obviously, once you get a little bit bigger, it doesn't work for it. But the concept of Secret Hitler is you have, um, depending on your size, you have between, you either have Hitler, Hitler and a fascist, or Hitler and two fascists, depending on how many players you're playing with, and then everyone else is a liberal. And the liberal's goal is to get liberal policies elected, and the fascist goal is to either get fascist policies elected, or to elect Hitler as chancellor at a certain point. And because of the way the game is designed, because it isn't designed around killing players, unlike uh, Werewolf and Mafia, it works better in a smaller setting, because people actually stay, al stay alive longer and you get more time to work on things and figure things out. But that game is incredible if you're looking for that style of game. It's a ton of fun playing with like a small group. It's just great. Uh, there's even like, due to current events, you can play it online. There are a couple websites that do like let you play the game totally online. Yes, the interface isn't great on them. It's pretty bad actually, but it's a ton of fun. And that's a big one that I just think is great. And then another one that is a little bit different because it's not like a deduction game, but it's still about like interacting with people is uh, Code Names. Uh, Code Names is a ton of fun. It's basically like an association game. So you have to say something or give your teammate a hint that allows them to guess things that are like guess cards that are face up on the board. And it's just a lot of fun. And it's, again, that kind of social aspect of it that some games miss. Yeah. I think Code Names is great. The, the best thing about that game is the words that you can't have people guess because it makes you lose the game. It's like a really fun aspect of that game because it's just like, you know, like say like ice cream is on the board, but the word ice is also on there. And so you can't say like cold because they might guess both. Like I really, I really like that aspect of that game. When I first saw that game getting played, I didn't realize the rewards that if you guess them, you lose. And as soon as I found that out, I was in for that game. There's also a really cool uh, two-player variant of it called Codenames Duet. So you only actually have to have two people to play that version of the game. It's designed for specifically two people. And that's not that game is actually not very easy with two people. Like, and it kind of gives you a nice challenge, which is nice. Yeah, and one of, like yeah, that game also is one of those games that the more you play it, the more interesting it becomes. Because it hits the point where... If you're playing with, like, a group that's pretty experienced, I can give you a hint, and I can say, like, hint and then four, meaning there's, like, four words associated with it. And if there's two obvious ones, you can pick the two obvious ones and then stop. But if you keep that hint in mind, when I give you the next clue, you can use that hint in context again. That the fact that there's still two more words you're supposed to guess on there that are associated with the clue. Which is just really cool, because it adds that extra layer of depth where you can kind of gain a little bit more incremental advantage if you are confident in your partner and if you're like have a good idea yeah it's like if believe life and love are on the board i'm gonna say share and we're gonna crush <laughs> that round you know yeah easy all three <laughs> all three got them no time at all <laughs> yeah no i think i think social deduction games like that and stuff like code names where there's a lot of uh you know, a lot of that social aspect of those games makes them really fun. You know, and there's there's so many more board games out there, obviously we haven't even mentioned, that are incredible. You know, and there's still room for fun games too, like Scattergories. There's still room for Scattergories, but like, you can also not play Scattergories. And play something a little more interactive with people. That's... Yeah, like Scrabble. Scrabble? Fight me. Let's Scrabble. Really? You really want to? You really want to go at me? And I don't want to go at you in Scrabble, son. No dictionary, no nothing. If you don't know the word off the top of your head, get wrecked. I I don't think this is good for you. Oh, I know it's not. I want to be. I want to be humbled. <laughs> Humble me. <laughs> that, that yeah. Now there's some really good games we've recommended. Really. Really suggest for people to get out there and, like, look at your board game stores. Especially right now, you got a couple people in your house. Go get some board games. Don't just sit there in your little corner and be like, I'm, you know... Also, yeah, from the collectible card game player, if you want to do this right now, 
especially due to current events, look to see if you have a local game store. For sure. See if you can support something local. It's really easy to order these off Amazon and like everyone, but everyone's having a tough time right now. And if you have a local game store, it doesn't hurt to, if they have it, take a five minute drive and pick it up. Yeah. I think, you know, looking at my board game shelf, I have around 70 games, I think. I'm going to say 80 to 90% of them are either hand-me-downs from old games from a parent's collection or from that game store. I've got at least 40 or 50 of these have to be bought from that game store, like our, our local store. And it's important right now because a lot of these stores thrive a lot on collectible games that aren't allowed to have in-game events right now. And it's really important that we keep supporting them. Especially if you are, you know, a big collectible game player, you should support your local store. You know, a lot of them are probably going to have curbside pickup. It's not any different than Amazon and somebody dropping a box off to you. Except it's just faster because you can just go to the store and pick it up. And if you ever need to find a resource where you're like, I'm not sure what kind of game I want. Feel free to ask your local store. Hey, I've got three people in my house. What's a good game? Or I've got four people in my house. What's a good game? Or there's just two of us. Or you can go... Yeah, and like, we're we're pretty blessed because our local game store is fantastic. And I know there are places that don't have that same experience, but give them a shot. If you give them a shot, reach out to them. Like, I'm, sh- I, I'm pretty sure they'll be happy to help you. And if they are, support them. Yeah. And you know what? Anybody... This listens to this that wants to have board game recommendation, you, you can you can ask me. I love board games. You can message the show. You can go on Twitter and message at us. Anywhere. You can get a hold of us. Feel free to ask. You can also go to places like boardgamegeek.com as a very comprehensive list of like best board games, but you can look them up by different types of board games. Uh, that community is very, very nerdy. So I will say, make sure you look at the game before you just go, oh, Gloomhaven's number one. I want to go get that. Gloomhaven is a very oh, yeah, intense sure. RPG. Yeah, yeah, Michael, sure. We'll play We'll play Descent. That sounds like a fun time. We'll play it. <laughs> we'll play Descent soon. Says the unopened, says the unopened copy of Descent in my we'll, closet. We'll play Descent soon. <laughs> but yeah, so if, yeah, feel free to message us if you have any questions about any kind of board games. One of us will know. Trust me, I've played a lot of board games and I love them a lot. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that's a big thing. It's just make sure you're you're out there having fun. Play fun games, have a good time, support your local stores, and don't be afraid to ask questions. It's not that hard of a hobby to get into if you just ask if you don't know. Yeah. And, and like the only other thing is obviously current events are tough. If you're having issues, Think about something like Tabletop Simulator. Hell, think about using the webcam on your laptop or whatever you have to play a game. Like, so many people right now are just seeing, like, and just copying out of playing board games or, like, associating with stuff and all this, all these different things. There are workarounds. If you don't feel comfortable hanging out with people in person, Tabletop Simulator is great. I've used it a fair amount. I, I prefer in, on like, I prefer to actually be on a table. Like, I prefer to be playing in person, but... It works, and it does it. And as I said, like even for stuff like Secret Hitler, that's online. Like you can play that online. If you want to play something like Mafia, Among Us is great, and Among Us is like pretty cheap. It's not really an expensive thing, and you can play it for free on mobile. So like, don't let current events just con you into sitting there and not doing anything. Like, get some friends together. Get people online. You can find you can find groups of people online to play with too. It might not be the first group you find. But you can find it. Yeah. There's even full communities for, like, Magic the Gathering that play webcam magic. Their last event had 50 people in it. Playing webcam legacy and vintage magic. It's just, like, people are out there having fun. And just don't let everything going on right now stop you from having fun and stop you doing your hobbies. Or even stop you from picking up a new hobby. And if you are somebody by yourself and you're a little antisocial, Among Us can be really great. There are text-only lobbies you can enter in Among Us where you literally don't have to talk. You just type what you think. That's It's perfect. You know? And at least it'll yeah, get you just, out there. Yeah, just even even with current events, like, don't 
I, I know a lot of people who've just like receded into being lethargic and just not really doing anything. Yeah. Even beyond this, hey, if you want to start up a podcast, get off your ass and do it. Yeah. You know, we did it, and I'm lazy as all hell when we managed to do this. So if I can do it, you can do it. Just saying. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Like cur- current events, all things considered, there's workarounds. Yeah. If you want to do something, you can do it. Yeah. You know, reach out to, you know, family you haven't seen in a while. Like, I just recently reconnected with my aunt, and then she low-key drops that she's been listening to this podcast, and I have no idea. (laughs) And, like, those kind of family members, like, feel free to talk to you. You have some cousin that lives a country away from you. Talk to them. Be like, hey, you know, you want to, like, try one of these games out that I heard on this podcast? Just go talk to them. And do it. Like, I play with my brother who literally lives on the other side of the planet. And we still manage to find times to play games. Hell yeah, Apex is great. Yeah, Apex Le- Legends, all the way from <laughs> Africa to Canada. It's great. <laughs> yeah, especially with with how online is right now, it's there isn't a good excuse anymore. So I think, I think that's our big takeaway, you know? Like, we try to show you some games that are really fun, really good. Go out there. Play with your friends. Play with your family. Meet somebody new if you need to. You know, go type in Among Us text lobby. Just go out there and enjoy your life. Have fun. Don't let everything get to you. And just, you know, enjoy yourself. And that's it this week, I think, for uh, Below Average Gaming. I'm hoping that you're having a above average day. And uh, we'll talk to you next time.